How many of you, the pandemic's messed up your clock? You know, you said a few years ago, that's like 10 years ago, yeah. So really, uh, a lot of years ago, when our kids were young, we have two boys, and they were little, something like nine and three or something like that. We uh, had flown to Denver. We were flying out of Denver back home, and uh, it was just one of these crazy, chaotic times. I stopped by to see a pastor friend, and he said, oh, I've got someone. We'll run them to clean the car because you've got to turn the car in, and we just want to do that for you to, you know, to serve you and help you. And, uh, and I said, now, you sure they'll make it back on time? And you, so you know where, where this is going. And uh, he said, oh, yeah, no, we checked, and it'll be fine. They'll be back here on time. Well, they weren't on time. It was late. It pushed us late for the airport. We got to the airport. This is like 2000, you know, maybe 2005, so it's just about four years after 9-11. And uh, we're, we're rushing to get into the airport. All the screening and, you know, safety screening had really locked down. And we get in this giant line in the Denver airport, and we're trying to walk walk. It tried to get in. We're, you know, we're, we're late. We know we're late. We're trying to hurry. Okay, let's go, let's go, let's go. We get to the check-in, and the lady that's checking everybody in is going, go that way, go that way, go that way, go that way. Get to us, and they go, go that way. We went, oh, no. We know what that means. We know what go that way means. We're, we've been selected, randomly selected, you know, for terrorist screening. So here we are with our little nine- and three-year-old going to terrorist screening. So we get over there, and they run us through the whole thing. And then all of a sudden, uh, the person decides, we need to check your wife's purse. I said, listen, uh, we're late. We're going to be late. I know, sir, but we have to do this. And so they take her purse and us, and they separate all, or they leave the kids with one of us. They separate us, you know, like, like we're about to do something. And then they go to the table, and they take my wife's purse, and they take everything out one thing at a time. And we're just going, you know, hey, we, we, got, we got a plane. Finally, we get through that and put everything back together, and then they say, oh, we need our manager to come over, and the manager comes over and unloads my wife's purse again, takes everything out, you know, so, to, so we don't do whatever we're going to do. So finally, we grab all our stuff. We're headed to the gate. Of course, it's not the close gate. How many of you know you fly? It's never the close gate. It's the far one. So we're running, you know, three-year-old and nine-year-old in tow. We're stretched out across the airport trying to get to the gate. We get there. The door is shut. The stewardess is gone. Just so happened the little tunnel leading to the plane has a window in it, and the airport has a window in it. And somehow, by some miracle, I lock eyes with the stewardess walking, loading herself onto the plane down the tunnel. She sees us, and she looks and sees us running and stops, comes back and says, Are you the West family? Yes, we're the West family. She said, hurry up. Come on. I'm like, I, we get, this is all we got. You know, we got to pedal down. This is all we got. So we get on the plane. It's crazy. We barely make it. You know, people are stink on us the whole time, you know, because we're holding the plane up. So we finally get uh, on the plane, take off, land in Atlanta, and we're connecting to go back to uh, Gulfport, Mississippi, which is where we lived at the time. So we get to Atlanta. We got just this short little window in this time we have got to eat, you know, do whatever we got to do, and then we got to get on the next plane, and there's just a short time. We're, we're already stressed and tired. We get off the plane. We get something to eat. We sit down. I'm about to take a bite of my cheeseburger. You know, we're starving because everything we've been through, all the adrenaline. And my three-year-old says, Daddy, what? I got to go to the bathroom. Can you hold it? Daddy, I don't think, and it's just all the pressure for everything. And this puddle starts to form on the floor around his shoe. And I look down his leg, and it is wet, and it's under the table everywhere. 
and I'm just thinking, oh no. Everything we own is in a suitcase being transferred from one plane to another. I've got napkins. That's all I got. And I said, okay. I mean, we've got we to you know, get to the next plane. So I'm carrying a soaked child through the Atlanta airport. And I thought, no problem. I don't care what it, you could charge me anything you want. I'll give you, write you in my inheritance. I need some clothes. I'll just go, and I think there's shops everywhere. I'll just go to the shop and I'll grab some clothes, you know. So I go to a shop. They don't have what I'm looking for. Go to another one. They don't have, I would shop to shop to shop to shop. I change concourses. Just an FYI for anybody that travels, they do not sell below the waist clothes in the airport. I don't know if you knew that. I never knew that. Never needed to know that. Never cared. They sell tops. That's it. So I bought an extra large men's shirt. And I take my three-year-old to the bathroom and I throw his shoes away and I throw his socks away and I throw his pants away and I throw his underwear away and I throw his shirt away because it's soaked and that child is naked with a man's shirt on. That's all that child has. And by this point, we're late for the next plane. So we're running through the airport with a naked child with a man's shirt on trying to get to the next gate, and he, he thinks this is great. He's going, <laughs> are you sure he's going, just smiling, stop it, you stop that, you stop that right now. You know, God, we're going to get arrested, we're going to get thrown out, and, you know, and he's pitter-pattering like bare feet in the airport. Ah, you know, there's germs from everywhere in the world, in the airport, just pitter-pattering. We get onto the plane, and we like tuck his shirt in and try to put the seatbelt across it, you know, and put the tray down and lock him in there. And man, we got some looks on that plane. Did we get some looks? We got home that night and we said, thank you, God. You know, I don't think I'll ever fly again. We've all had moments in our life, you know, that are filled with chaos. In a very, very different way or heavier way, this is kind of like <laughs> the last few hours of Jesus' life but it's much, much heavier because people are dying and, and people are hurling insults at him and cursing him and the Roman soldiers are cursing him and uh, the crowd, the religious leaders are cursing him and um, as, as Jesus' life is slipping away, it's slipping away in the middle of chaos and people are accusing him of being fake. And his followers who had followed him through thick and thin, most of them have ran away. And time's running out. He suffered a severe beating and now a crucifixion and his life, life's draining out of his body. And you know the story. You know he wasn't crucified alone. He was crucified with two other men. And um, he had a conversation with those men. And so we've been in a series we've just called Conversations with Jesus and for weeks now, we've been talking about some of the really powerful conversations Jesus had with people when he was on earth. And, uh, and in fact, the series isn't even ending today. Next, next two weeks, we're going to be continuing and talking about more of those conversations. But if you want to catch up with us, you can go to our YouTube channel and you can hear about the other conversations we've been talking about. But today, we're going to talk about the conversation that Jesus had with the two criminals on the cross. Luke 23, 
39 starts the conversation. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. So these, these two men um, were criminals, and we don't know a lot about them. We don't know exactly what they did, but whatever they did, it was bad enough that they deserved capital punishment. So um, the first criminal basically says to Jesus, it kind of made fun of him and says, hey, look, if you're who people say you are, prove it. Do something awesome. Come off the cross and, you know, save yourself. Oh, by the way, while you're doing it, you know, save me too. Save us. Verse 40, but the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence? We are punished justly for what we're getting for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man's done nothing wrong. So the, the second criminal knows that, that he and his friend are guilty, or he and the other criminal are, are guilty, and he knows that Jesus is innocent. And Matthew and Mark actually tell us that both criminals cursed Jesus for a while. But somehow, this second criminal had a change of heart in the middle. Verse 42, then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, this word remember is not the way that we use it in English. When we say remember, uh, what we're oftentimes saying is think about me. You know, it's kind of like when you go to the beach, you have your toes in the sand, you take a picture, um, uh, you, you send it to a friend and say, this is my happy place, wish you were here, you know, not really because I didn't invite you, but I thought about you, right? You know what I'm saying? I thought about you. That's kind of how we think about remember me. But that's not what remember me means in the language that this verse was written in. What remember me means is help me and deliver me. So what this criminal was saying was, hey, we're going to die soon. And when we die and this life is over, in the next life, help me and deliver me. Like do something, you know, that I can't do for myself. And so here's what's interesting about this whole conversation. You may have noticed Jesus is silent. Like through all the um, criticism and all the uh, insults and the cursing and everybody throwing all this stuff at him, Jesus didn't respond. He didn't argue. He didn't try to correct the criminals. You know, it'd be easy to say, why don't you just hush? You're up here with me. You know, what's the big deal? He never responded. But here, here are Jesus' only words in the whole conversation. Verse 43, Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Now that's so, that's so certain and it's so emphatic and there's no hesitation today. Not hope, hope so, not maybe one day, not maybe when you retire, not whatever, today. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Now, this conversation blows up so many of our misconceptions about God. And I want to share some of those with you. One of the misconceptions we have about God is, you know, you've gone too far, right? You may be thinking, if you only knew what I've done, if you only knew how I've lived, if you only knew what I said. You know, I've worked with people long enough to know that behind the makeup and the pressed clothes and the nice car 
and you know the good job and um, the fun social media post. I, I've, I've worked with people long enough to know that um, they're real people with r- real problems behind all that. There are, um, you know, addictions and uh, affairs and, and divorce and betrayal and sexual sins. And um, there are people that we hurt. And there's sometimes um, uh, schemes and, and gimmicks and depression and anxiety. And, you know, not pretend like real life, like things that people really, really suffer through and deal with. And um, sometimes people ask me the question, hey, do you think that the reason that my life turned out the way that it did is because God's punishing me, you know, for something that I did, X, Y, or Z? And, um, and the answer is, no, no, I don't believe that at all. God's not mad at you. He's not, you know, trying to pay you back. He's not in heaven with a big hammer just waiting for you to mess up so he has a good excuse just to pound you the rest of your life. Jesus' one statement blows up that entire way of thinking. You've got two, two criminals here that deserve capital punishment, and, and um, one of them, or both of them, actually was just cursing him minutes earlier. And so here's what I want you to... See, if this guy who deserves capital punishment hanging on a cross is cursing Jesus just minutes before this and Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. If he hadn't gone too far, you hadn't gone too far. Because probably most people in this room don't deserve capital punishment. Maybe a few. Most people in this room and online probably have not cursed Jesus to his face. Maybe some. But either way, if Jesus accepted this guy, he'll accept you. Last Sunday, um, one of our pastors, Pastor Jason, was down in Calera. There's a sister church of ours who was dedicating a new church building that they moved into. It's an awesome day. And uh, he was there and he ran into a friend that he uh, knew in high school he hadn't seen in since high school. And, uh, and she looks at him and says, you're the last person that I would expect to see at this event in the church. Because he, like, was not a Christian in high school. Last time she saw him, he was, he was way away. And he said, oh, really? He said, yeah, you know, actually, I'm a pastor today. She said, really? And he said, if I'm honest with you, you're the last person that I would have expected to see her. Because in high school, she was an atheist. And last Sunday, they were in Calera, Alabama, celebrating a church's progress and reaching its community. If they hadn't gone too far, you hadn't gone too far. There's a, um, another misconception we have. You aren't good enough. Now, what I mean by that is, maybe you hadn't been all that bad. You just hadn't done that much good. You know, maybe you have um, just kind of lived for yourself and kept to yourself and, and done your own thing. Well, think about this criminal on the cross. Like he's cursing at Jesus and all this stuff, and then minutes later he's saying, hey, remember me. He hadn't done much good, right? He, hadn't, he doesn't even have enough time left in life to do enough good to prove that he was sincere. So apparently 
being able to do enough good isn't enough. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, it's by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. Look at this. It's not by works. Relationship with Jesus is a gift. You and I don't have the ability to... You could live your whole life like Mother Teresa. And it would never be enough. It would never be enough. So if this criminal was accepted by Jesus, and he couldn't earn it, you and I can't earn it, but we can still be accepted by Jesus. One of the other misconceptions we see is you don't know enough. You know, I think most people at some point in their life feel spiritually inadequate because they feel like they don't know enough. I mean, I've felt that way sometimes as a pastor. You know, people expect you to know something because your pastor are like, you know, I really don't know. But I think we've all felt that just because we don't, we don't know enough about God or we don't know enough about the Bible. We don't know enough about church. We don't know enough about theology. And I mean, let's be honest, sometimes in life we're put in environments that make you feel that way. Anybody when you were a kid uh, used to do Bible race? Anybody know what I'm talking about? You'd have to turn to a book of the Bible, see so who could turn to fact. Anybody, anybody remember this? Yeah, you, 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 the teacher would say, okay, you know, okay, everybody, we're going to do Bible race. You know, we're going to do Bible race. I hated it. We're going to do Bible race. I thought, yeah. Whoever can turn to Leviticus 4, the fastest, you know, is going to get a little treat. Three, two, one, you know, go. And you just be wheeling over there. And the pages of the Bible are so thin, they stick together. And I didn't know where Leviticus was. I didn't know the books of the Bible. You just be wheeling over there trying to find it. And, and, and I'd never won. Never, never, ever did I ever win. And, and I always thought, man, if this is what it takes to be spiritual, I'm going to hell for sure. Because I, 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 I can't find, you know, the right book of the Bible. D- did you know that for most of Christian history, the average Christian couldn't read? Did you know that? And that's the reason that a lot of the old churches that you would go into, particularly if you go into Europe, that they had stained glass. Because etched in those stained glass colors are Bible pictures. And they're pictures of different scenes from the Bible because the average Christian couldn't read. So when they would come to church, they would look at those beautiful scenes and it would remind them about the stories that they were told. Now, I guarantee you, everyone in this room and everyone online this morning, you know more, you already know more than that criminal did. (laughs) You already know more than he did. So you don't, you don't, it's not about what you know. You know, when you came this morning, uh, it might have felt strange to you. Um, being in a church, being in a church service. Maybe, maybe you've been to a church service before. Maybe it's been a long time. Maybe you came and you said, you know, I, don't, I didn't know the songs. I don't know what to expect. You know, I didn't really know what was going to happen. Uh, Maybe you were drugged here by a family member or a friend, or maybe you just, you know, we popped up in your YouTube feed and you just jumped online to hang out for a minute, and you kind of wonder, you know, is there a secret handshake you got to learn, or, you know, I don't really know many people. You know what I'm really glad about this morning? You just don't know, you just don't have to know much. This criminal knew less than every one of us, and Jesus accepted him. And if Jesus accepted him, he'll accept you.
So there's one, one more misconception that we oftentimes have, um, and that is it's too late. It's too late. I'm too old. My life is too defined. I've gone one direction too long. You know, what will, what will people think, you know, if I take on some kind of new religious thing now? It wasn't too late for the criminal on the cross. And he lived a bad life. And he pursued things he should not have pursued, and it caught up with him. And right in the middle of dying from his capital punishment, <laughs> that's where he encounters Jesus. Reminds me, uh, many years ago, uh, I was in college, and I was, you know, my mom bought me a plane ticket to fly home uh, for Thanksgiving. You're going to think, what is it with this guy in flying? You're never flying with him. I'm never flying with this guy. Um, I didn't, I'd only flown one time in my life. This is my second time. And I was in central Florida, and I had to drive to Tampa to get on the plane. And I thought, you know, this is before 9-11. What's the big deal? You just throw your stuff in the car. You head over there, walk in, get on the plane. I'm home. No big deal. I didn't know much about tropical storms in Florida either. And on the way, this deluge of rain, I mean blinding, you couldn't even see out the window. The wipers are on high, and it's like they're doing nothing. And cars backed up for miles, and of course, I was late for my flight. And I get there, and this time the door's shut, and nobody's getting in. And I missed my flight. And so I had to, <clears throat> I had to call my mom, <laughs> and I had to tell her, I'm, I'm, I missed my flight to come home for Thanksgiving, um, but first, I had to go find a payphone. Now, half of you don't even know what that is. But I had to go find a payphone. And, uh, and then I had to go call collect. And two-thirds of you don't even know what that is. Um, but that's where you have to get permission from the person you're calling to pay for your call. So I had to call my mom, collect, have her pay for it to tell her I'm not coming home. That was so fun. <laughs> so fun. It felt so bad to be so late about this time last year, my mom passed away. And I was thinking about it this weekend, and I was thinking, man, I wish I had that day back. I wish I could catch that flight now, and I wish I could see her and have that day back. But I can't have it back. And you know, that's the thing about being late, is you never know how late it is. Nobody really knows how late it is. You, nobody really knows how much time we have left on earth. During COVID, I had two friends Two pastor buddies, one was a little older than me, one was a little younger than me. They both got sick with COVID. They both died, shocked their families. Nobody saw it coming. And that's the thing about it. None of us really know how late it is for us. There's one thing we do know, though. We know we have now. We know we have now. We just don't know how much longer we have after that. Here's what I know if Jesus accepted this criminal at this late hour, then he'll accept you too. So let me give you um, a thought from this conversation that reveals a truth. The only requirement for following Jesus is trusting Jesus. That's it. You know, it's amazing to me that one criminal thought that... Um, what made Jesus Jesus 
is for him to come off the cross and do something spectacular and show off and save himself and everybody else. And this other criminal thought the very thing that made Jesus Jesus is that he stayed on the cross. Pretty interesting. When I get to heaven, I'd love to find that criminal and just find out how that went. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. You know, minutes, he's gurgling, breathing his last breath. He dies, and then he's with Jesus in paradise. Can you imagine how that must have went? You know, he rolls up, sees an angel. How'd you get here? I don't know. I don't really know. Um, You been baptized? No. No. Oh, you, you must be a church member. No, no, I've never been to church. Well, um, do, you, do, do you know the books of the Bible? No, I've I never seen a Bible. Never read one. Surely you can explain some of the doctrines of the church. No, I don't, I don't know any of them. Well, how, how, how was it that you got here? Did you, um, you must have lived a really good life and you're confused and you think because you lived a good life that somehow that's going to, you know, allow you to be here. No, no, not really. I didn't live a good life at all. Not at all. Well, what makes you think you can stay here? The man on the middle cross said I could stay. Apparently, it's just not that hard. Apparently, you don't have to be good enough. You don't have to be smart enough. You don't have to know enough. You don't have to be, you know, anything else. Apparently, it's just not that, apparently, it's just not that hard. We make it harder than it is, I think, sometimes. The, the one thing that you have to do, this criminal did. He trusted Jesus with his sin, he trusted Jesus with his life, and he trusted Jesus with his eternity. Now there's one question, there's one question that we have to ask, and that is, well how do you know, how did he know, how do we know that Jesus is trustworthy? I mean, three men were, were beaten and crucified and executed, and three men died, and three men were put in the grave. How do we know he's trustworthy? Well, because a couple days later, some of Jesus' closest followers went to the tomb to visit him, and when they got there, the rock that was rolled over the opening of the tomb had been rolled away, and they went inside the tomb, and his body was gone, and there was nothing but grave clothes there, and it was empty. Do you know there are thousands of religions in the world, and there's only one founder of any religion on earth who came back from the dead? There's only one. If Jesus conquered death, you can trust him. Matter of fact, let's say it like this, Jesus' resurrection proves that he's trustworthy. So if he conquered death, you can trust him. Would you stand with me this morning? Man, if you're online with us right now, we're, we're so happy that you've been part of the service. And I want to say this to you before we go any further.
We have a prayer team that's online, live, and they've been praying for you. Not just today, they've been praying for you for weeks. And if you, if you would like to trust Jesus with your sin, with your life, with your eternity, our prayer team's there and would love to pray for you. Just jump over in the comments. You might have to log on to you know, a different medium or something, but get over there to the comments. We're on all the platforms. And just say, I want to give my life to Jesus today. I want to start a real relationship with Jesus. And our prayer team's going to meet you there and pray with you. And if you have a need that you need to trust Jesus with, just put it there and they're going to pray with you. And for all of us today, we're going to sing this, um, this is an old song that probably everyone's heard. If not everybody, almost everybody. And it's a song about trusting God. And as we sing it, what I want to invite you to do is just to think, God, is there, is there some part of my life that you're inviting me to trust you in? Is there some part of my life that you're calling me to give to you, to trust you? Maybe, maybe it's my whole life, but maybe it's some other area. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, I thank you today that you're no longer in the grave. I thank you today that you beat death, and if you beat death, you can beat anything that we're going through right now. Lord, I thank you that you have been resurrected in the same power that brought you back from the dead is here with us in this moment. And Lord, you are here moving and working. Today, Lord, as we sing this song together, I pray we'd hear your voice, that we'd sense you moving inside of our heart, and that you'd call us to a greater place of trusting you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing this song.